We're glad you're here today. If you would, take your Bibles and let's open the Word of God to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. I thanked a lot of people. I, don't, I know I can't always remember everybody. But I'll add you to the list. If you're here today and you needed a thank you, then let me just add a thank you to you as well. And uh, that way you know you're appreciated around here. Amen. We, uh, we appreciate the things that everybody does. And there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. So I don't even know that I know everything. And so uh, that's okay. Sometimes we like to just serve quietly under the radar and just do it for the Lord. And we're not really not doing it for the thank you or any of that. And, uh, you know, so some people think it's better without that recognition, and that's okay, too, because uh, heaven will bear those rewards. Isn't that right? And uh, we thank the Lord for all of that. John 13, if you found your place, let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. We'll have prayer, and then we'll begin reading in verse 12, and we'll read down through verse 17. So let's pray together. Father, how we love you today, and how we thank you for your precious Word. We thank you for the Gospel of John And for the things that you reveal to the disciples. Because these things also help us. Being recorded, they were captured in in scripture, written down for us. That we too might be beneficiaries of the truth that you shared with the disciples. And so we ask, Lord, that you'd use these truths to speak to our hearts. To encourage us to strengthen our faith today. And Lord, may may we... uh, employ these things in our lives so that we can be as the disciples, happy in Jesus. And so, Lord, we just ask you to bless the reading of your word. We pray you'd work in our hearts. Speak to us, each one. Show us what you'd have us do. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. All right, John chapter 13, and if you'd look with me at verse 12, the Bible says, So after he had washed their feet, he had taken his garments And was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done unto unto you? You call me Master and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. I want to call your attention to verse 17 there, actually. And we'll use that as our text verse this morning. And let's read it one more time. Jesus said, if you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. And I want to preach a message this morning I've entitled, Happy Things. Thank you, you may be seated. Happy Things. Well, have you ever wondered, where is all this happiness that Jesus talked about? Where's the joy of Jesus? (laughs) If you've been saved any length of time, you've probably asked that question a time or two. You know, the Christian life starts out with a great excitement and a huge love for Jesus and an enthusiasm to learn and grow in Christ in every way. But it just seems like as time goes by, it just seems like all of that kind of settles down. And then life kind of distracts us. Kind of like Peter got distracted when he was walking to Jesus on the water. And and the Bible says the storm and the waves and all of that got his attention. And when he turned his 
attention away from Jesus, you know what happened. He, he began to sink. And sometimes in the Christian life, you and I, we, we can sink in some of the despairing things that happen around us and happen to us. Sometimes life just gets in the way and our attention just gets arrested and placed on other things instead of on Jesus. And when that happens, we kind of lose a little bit of our happiness, our joy. We lose our focus, and sometimes we even lose our sense of direction. We're not really sure what to do next or where to go from here or how to even get back to that happy place where we were. Well, with all that in mind, I was thinking about the words of Christ here in John 13, how Jesus taught his disciples about the happy things, the things that do bring a quiet contentment to our lives, things that do serve us well and actually allow us to experience the joy that he promised. You know, it's opposite of what the world will tell you, but Jesus said if you do these things, This is where happiness is found. Well, we all know that Jesus is our Lord and Savior and that everything he speaks is truth. Knowing that he's right, let's look at what he had to say. Happy things. What are the happy things? Jesus said, if you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. You know, when we get distracted in life, it's it's those times when we find ourselves not doing these. And without these, we won't always be happy. So let's take note today so that you and I can do the happy things and experience the joy that Jesus promised. First of all, I believe what Jesus was telling them in our text today is one of the happy things. He said in verse 13, let's look at it. He said, you call me master and Lord. And you say, well, for so I am. Jesus was teaching his disciples that one of the happy things is to know that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. To know that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. Hey, I'm telling you what. There's a happiness that can't be found anywhere else once you know that it's all settled in Christ, that your sins are forgiven, and that your home is in heaven. Hey, I'm telling you. The world can't provide contentment that anywhere compares to knowing Jesus as your Savior. So Jesus was addressing his disciples, and he said, You call me Master and Lord, for you say, Well, for so I am. Now, understand that he he had just finished washing their feet, and we're going to talk more about that in a moment. Now, Now, some people get caught up on that, and they practice it even as a church ordinance. Now, we don't do that here because we, we believe that Jesus did exactly what he said. He gave us an example. He was not giving us a church ordinance here. He was giving us an exercise in humility, an exercise in Christian service. And we'll, we'll elaborate on that in a minute. But while he was doing that, he, he recognized their attention to him, their knowledge that he was their Lord and Savior. And, you know, that does bring joy and contentment to our lives. Notice what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 through 13. The Bible says, And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. 
These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Isn't that good? I like the fact that we can know. We have a know-so salvation. We can know we're saved. And you know, it's knowing we're saved that brings that joy, that, that relief uh, from the guilt of sin and acknowledging the forgiveness of Christ and, and the joy of one day celebrating and enjoying that home in heaven with Jesus. Oh, that's a wonderful thing. The Bible says in John 5, 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. I love that verse. Then there's John 3, 16, of course. Everyone's familiar with this passage where Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Well, those of us that have read a little bit of the Bible understand why Jesus said that. That condemnation of God, it comes upon us because of our sin. The Bible says in Romans 3, 23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And you know, when we read the Bible and we come across verses like that, we don't have to go very far to be convinced. We don't need a judge and jury. We don't have to hear the gavel slam. Uh, and we don't, we don't have to hear a heavenly verdict to know that God's word is true in this matter. We are all guilty. For all of us have sinned. And the Bible goes on to say, because of that sin, in Romans 6.23, it says the wages of sin is death. And if we died in our sins, and if we, and if we got the judgment that we deserved that we would die not only physically that first death, but we would, we would experience the second death. The Bible talks about in the book of Revelation, the lake of fire and brimstone. Revelation says, John said in Revelation, this is the second death. It's the, it's the time that we're, that we're put away from God's presence for eternity because of sin. You know, that is the problem that Jesus was solving when he died on the cross. You know, if God gave his son, like John 3, 16 says, if he died for the sins of the world, there was a, a strong reason why God would allow his son to experience that. And that reason was our sin. Jesus took our sin upon himself. And the Bible says he who, who did no sin, he became sin for us, right? That we might be made the righteousness of God. So God set it up so that we could make a trade. We could, Jesus would take on our sinfulness on the cross, and he did. And if we accept his payment, then we take on his righteousness. And because of that transaction, God the Father, who is righteous and holy in heaven, one day will be able to allow us to come in because of that righteousness that we wear, not ours, it's the righteousness of Christ Jesus, our Savior, who loved us and died on the cross to pay for our sins so that we might be forgiven and be able to go to heaven. 
You see, that's the, that's the, the complicated uh, issue surrounding the cross and all the legalities of that. God, in his foreknowledge, solved all of those issues with Jesus going to the cross, taking our place, becoming our substitute. He took the punishment of our sin because God, who is holy, has to punish sin. He can't just ignore it. He can't just wave it away. Sin has to be punished. So Jesus took that punishment, which enabled a holy, righteous God to then be able to forgive us on the basis that the payment has already been made and now we stand in Christ's stead. God sees us after we accept Jesus as our Savior. He sees us as He would see Christ, righteous. And because of that, we can enter in. Isn't that good? This is the joy that Jesus was talking about when He said to His disciples, My joy I give to you. Not as the world giveth. Hey, you know, the world's joy kind of comes and goes. It's all based on what's happening. And so when good things are happening, they're happy. When, when good things are not happening, then they're not happy. But you know, we have, a, we have something that can remain with us always. When we know Jesus is our Savior, He's our Lord, we serve Him, and He has saved us from the penalty, the penalty and, the, and the punishment of sin. Right? And one day he'll save us from the very presence of sin as we enter into his glory. Hey, what a joy. Hey, if that don't make you happy, boy, something wrong deep down inside. Amen. Probably need to get saved this morning. If you're not saved today, I want to invite you to do just that. Invite Christ to save you. Accept his payment on the cross. There's no payment you can make that God can accept for your sin. There's nothing you can do to erase what you've already done. The only way to be forgiven of sin is to accept what Jesus did. That's the payment that God will accept in your place. And you can do it today if you've never done it. Hey, that'll make you happy. That'll, that'll, uh, that'll perk you up. Accepting Jesus as your Savior, knowing, knowing that all of your sins are, are, are under the blood and uh, behind the cross, never to be remembered in the mind of God. What a blessing. But Jesus didn't stop there. He said to his disciples also in verse 14 and 15, there's another happy thing that he, that he wanted them to remember. He said in verse 14, If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Verse 15, he said, For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Now here, he was teaching them, here's a happy thing, he was teaching them that you serve God by serving others. Now, the disciples at this point were pretty accustomed to being in the presence of Jesus. But Jesus knew he would not be here always. He came for a time, and then he would leave. Later, he said to his disciples, it's good for you that I go away, because when I go, I'm going to send the Comforter. He knew he would send the Holy Spirit. We would enter into what we call now the church age, where, where believers are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. And he would be our companion, our guide through life to, to help us and, and, and teach us and remind us of the ways of the Lord. What a great part of our salvation the Holy Spirit is. So without the presence of Jesus, how would we serve God? 
Well, he was teaching the disciples, we serve God by serving others. Here's a good question this morning. How do you treat other people? You may not have realized this, but that has a lot to do with your happiness. How do you treat other people? Hey, you know why some people are mean and grumpy and grouchy and all that? Because they're not happy. And you know why they're not happy? They're not happy because that's how they treat people. They're not serving God at all. They're serving themselves. And all that grumpiness and grouchiness, all of that stuff barks, and it comes out when they are inconvenienced. And the end result is, you can see it for yourselves, they are not happy. (laughs) Right? We say not a happy camper. That's not the people that we want to be neighbors with. It's because they haven't learned this principle. You serve God by serving others. May God help us to remember this. This was why Jesus himself knelt and washed the disciples' feet. It had nothing to do with the local church, but it had everything to do with individual believers being willing to humble themselves and do menial things, do lowly tasks to help somebody. Jesus was providing what was a necessary service in their day. It was customary when you entered someone's home to have their feet washed. The reason is because they wore sandals. They walked everywhere. Their feet got dirty on the path, on the way. And instead of tracking all that into your home, you would have someone there to wash their feet as a greeting. So Jesus took that custom and he used it as an object lesson, an illustration of how we as the servants of the Lord, not just believers, not just Christians, not just saved, but if you are all that, you are also a servant of Jesus. And so he was teaching his disciples how to be more than just saved, but how to be a servant of the Lord. You serve God by serving others. And so he said, look what I've done. I'm your master, he said, but I have served each of you. And he served them in the most, they would probably say, the most degrading way. He washed their feet. That's a task that would have been assigned to one of the household servants. And yet we find Jesus took off his garments and took a towel and he did the washing himself. He was saying to the disciples, this is how you serve me, by serving others by humbling yourself. You know, part of our problem is we're full of pride. And you know what the Bible says about that? The Bible says God hates pride. He resists the proud. So if you don't learn to deal with that pride in your life, you're always going to have a stiff arm from God. God hates pride. And as believers, as disciples, followers of Jesus, if we want to be close to him, we got to learn how to deal with that. we got to get pride out of the way because it will come between you and Jesus, whether you like it or not. It will keep a distance from him because God hates pride. So what does the Bible say? Let's look at a few verses. Matthew chapter 25, 
Verse 34, the Bible says, Then, this is Jesus talking, He said, Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was in hunger, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee in hunger and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee, or, or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it, unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. What a truth. Jesus is teaching the disciples, when you serve others, you're serving me. You serve God by serving others. Isn't it amazing? Man, we spend a lot of time praying about serving God. We, we want to fast and pray and, and, and give long, long seasons of meditation and thought to finding the will of God. And what does God want me to do? He made it so simple. Look around you and find somebody that needs a, your help and just lend them a hand and do that menial task, that degrading thing that nobody wants to do. And you will be serving Jesus as you do it. This is not the only passage where Jesus teaches this principle that we serve God by serving others. Notice what the Bible says in Matthew 10. Verses, uh, by the way, by the way, before we move on, I did forget about this. It's, it's a great thought to think that, that when we do something for someone, we're serving God and, and it counts towards serving Jesus. Man, we all applaud that. But I want you to understand this. And, and this, the flip side of that truth, is, is especially value, valuable in our world today. The flip side of that truth is a little more scary. And it's this. When you neglect to serve others, you are neglecting Christ. Verse 45 of the same passage says, Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. As I read the latter half of that, where Jesus talked about when you didn't serve, when you didn't help, you know, sometimes we like to think, well, that's okay, I, I, just, I just missed an opportunity. Maybe we need to think again about that. Because it's more than a missed opportunity. Have you ever heard somebody say this? No decision is a decision. Well, after reading that verse, I would say it like this. No decision is a no decision. Ooh. Did you really mean to tell Jesus no? But that's what we do every time we fail to come to the aid 
of someone who's trying to do right, trying to serve the Lord, and we don't get behind them. We don't support them. We're not there to do the task. We're not willing to roll up our sleeves and do the work. It's not just a missed opportunity. We voted no. When we fail to act, it's almost the same as being in opposition against. Wow, that sheds new light on that side of things. I don't know about you, maybe you already understood this, but for me it was eye-opening. I thought, wow, I've never really, I've never really thought about it like that before. How many times have we not only missed an opportunity, but we found ourselves on the wrong side of this? Because we didn't. Hey, I want you to know, Jesus is keeping score on that. And after reading that passage, I'm coming away saying, God, help me never to miss an opportunity again. Because, hey, I don't want to be on the wrong side of this. I want to be on the serving side. I want to be the one that rolls up the sleeves. I want to hear the well done. Amen. Matthew 10, verses 41 and 42 says this, He that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. You see how he's talking about other people, not himself, but when you serve others, you're serving God. He says now a prophet. Then he says, And he that receiveth a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. That's pretty good. But he doesn't stop there. He said, And whosoever shall give to drink one of these little ones a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. Why is that true? Because you serve God when you serve others. And I believe that we who are on the Lord's side, we have an obligation to serve and come to the aid of those who are on the Lord's side, whether he be a prophet or a righteous man or a little one who's a disciple following Jesus. Let it always be said that we come to their aid. How many times have we been caught on the other side, on the opposing side, because we didn't come to the aid of someone who was serving the Lord. Hey, I'm telling you, being in ministry, I know firsthand what this is like. When you try to start a church or start a class or do something good, and, and you need people to rally around that and get behind the work of the Lord, hey, you can see very clearly this principle at work. And there are some who will get involved, and there are others who will not. They'll oppose what you do and give you all the reasons why you shouldn't. And then it seems like the majority sit on the sidelines and watch. And they don't really do anything. And they excuse themselves by just saying, well, you know, I didn't get involved. As I'm reading this verse now, I'm thinking, wow, you know, when we don't get involved, you know what, that, you know what side that puts us on? We're joining the opposing side instead of the serving side. That's not the side I want to be on. God help us. Whether it be a prophet, a righteous man, or a little one, someone who's just following the Lord. You know what that does, though? That opens wide our opportunities 
to serve Jesus. Because when we serve them, when we help them, when we get behind them, we're serving God. We're serving our Savior. Jesus is watching. He's tallying the score. Amen? That's a good thing. Know that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. Hey, if you've got Jesus in your heart and life, you've been forgiven of all your sins, you've got room to be happy today. And know that you serve God by serving others. When you have taken those opportunities and gotten involved, hey, when you have done what you could to help someone along their way, then you have room this morning to be happy in Jesus for their progress. Amen. There's one more thing. Using this foot washing as an example, Jesus taught the disciples, here's another happy thing. He said, remember this, the way up is down. Remember I talked about pride a moment ago? Oh yeah, this is the pride exercise right here. Jesus said, if you want to climb higher in the Lord, you want a promotion in Jesus, you want to get closer to him, he said, the way up is down. Let me show you what I mean by that. Look at verse 16 in our text. John 13, verse 16 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. That means that you and I are not greater than the Lord Jesus. Therefore, we should be willing to do the things that he has done. What was that? He said, I just gave you an example. I just washed your feet. He didn't wash one disciple's feet in front of them. He could have done that. That would have been a good object lesson. Just wash one of their feet and say, hey, that's the kind of stuff you guys should be doing. No, no, no. He washed all of their feet. As a matter of fact, if you go back and read the whole chapter, you're going to find that when he came to Peter, Peter said, oh, no, hey, uh-uh, Lord, you're not washing my feet. I should be washing your feet. And then Jesus said, well, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Oh, he said, hey, my hands, my feet, my head, go ahead, wash me all. (laughs) He said, no, 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 Peter. He said, you only need your feet washed. Right? And then he made another reference. He said, now are you clean, but not all. That was a reference to Judas. You've heard me teach that principle before, so I won't go into that. But here the Lord is teaching them that the way up is down. And to illustrate that, he, he not only washed one disciple's feet, but all of their feet. Over and over again. That's, a, that's something they would never forget. So look what the Bible says about the way up is down. The Bible says in Matthew twenty three twelve, And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Hey, that's just a Bible principle. That is the way God works. If you exalt yourself, you're going to be humbled. But if you humble yourself, you're going to be exalted. Look at 1 Peter 5, 6, where Peter teaches this same principle. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Now, you might be sitting here today a little weary even, and you might think to yourself, hey, I've been serving for a long time, and my promotions never come. Your challenge then is to keep on serving, because Peter said, in due time. 
in due time. That's not our time. We already know that. God's timetable never matches up with ours. He's got his own timetable. Due time. That's his time. Just be patient. God knows how to lift up and exalt. God knows how to promote his own. In Philippians chapter 2, we are taught to have the mindset of Jesus. It says so in verses 5 through 8. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now the next verse says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him. It shows us the principle, right, that, that, that when we humble ourselves before God, he will exalt us in due time. Jesus lived out that principle for us. Then in Matthew 20, verses 25 through 28, it says this. But Jesus called them unto him and said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them. And they that are great exercise authority upon them. This is something that our our government is getting good at. Jesus said, But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. Whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So in Matthew 20, in these verses, Jesus was saying, in God's economy of things, fellas, all of you disciples, now that you're here and you're in Christ, remember the way up is down. And those of you who would be leaders and chiefest among you, he said, let them be your servants. Think about that. You know you're growing in Christ when the capacity of your service expands. And you, just, you determine the capacity of that service, not by how many people serve you, but how many people you serve. This is what Jesus was teaching. That we should approach this as a minister, as a servant. That we should seek to do for others. Because when we serve others, we are serving our Savior. But in order to do that, we've got to get pride out of the way. We've got to get self out of the way. Right? When we flip that around, if we do it like the world does it, we serve self. And we want to be exalted by others serving us. That's the way the world does it. But Jesus said, that's not the way I want you to do it. So their way is backwards to us. Our way is backwards to them. But I know this, because God made us, he knows what makes us happy. And when we truly seek the benefit of others, when we truly have a part in serving 
and blessing them with that service. That is where true happiness for us is found. Serving others. These are happy things. Jesus knows our nature. He knows how we're wired. He made us. And he said if we could overcome the hurdles of pride and self and all of that, and if we could know Jesus is our Lord and Savior, if we could serve God by serving others, and remember that the way up is down, he said, he said, if you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. You know, knowing them and doing them are two different things. Let's ask God to help us roll up our sleeves again and become the servants that he wants us to be. And you remember, no matter who's on the other end of your service, you're always doing it for the Lord. And when you do it that way, you're really serving Jesus while you serve them. And God in heaven is watching, and he's tallying the score. But most importantly, our hearts will be right with him, and we will taste and experience the happiness, the joy that Jesus talked about. Hey, may God help us to do the happy things starting this week. Let's get back to it. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, how we love you today. How we thank you so much for teaching us, for reminding us about these happy things. Things that truly bring the joy of the Lord, not, not the joy of, of experience and not the joy of the world, but the kind of joy that's quiet, that contentment that just seems to hover with us. This kind of joy can last a lifetime. The satisfaction that these things bring to us, Lord, is unparalleled. And we thank you for reminding us, for teaching us these things. Now, Lord, help us do them. And we'll thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name, amen.